Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, good morning and, uh, and welcome. I'm Jeremy, I'm one of the leaders here. And uh, we're in week four out of five of introducing Jesus. Uh, so if this is your first week, you're coming in partway through a series. What we've been looking at from the first week was the idea of uh, why it is that all of us seek happiness or life to the full. How it is that Jesus promises that he actually is the answer to life and life to the full. And then the second week, we looked at why it is that he has any authority to make that claim. That in fact, he is the one who claims to be God and fully man. The one who has answers to life, death, meaning and everything in between. And then last week, we asked the question, why is it that Jesus had to die? And what's that got to do with us? And what we saw was that he is the clear answer to our sin, the biggest problem that we have. But this week, we're asking the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because if you wind back to week one, Jesus made the claim that he came to bring life and life to the full. And there is not a single person here or in the world who is not set upon the pursuit of happiness. We, we can't get around it. In fact, I don't know if you've reflected on this, but we are, if you look around the world and all of, all of creation and all the creatures that are in it, we're the only ones who have any kind of problem with finding life. I saw someone post a reflection recently just on caterpillars. It's a profound thought. But they said, I wonder, I wonder if caterpillars know that they're going to become a butterfly or are they just building a cocoon thinking, why am I doing this? And so that's, a, that's an interesting you know, insight into the mind of caterpillars. But the, um, the human behind it is this idea, right? The idea that like, imagine if, like, like if animals had the same kind of issues that we have, if they were actually reflective, because we know that they're not. We're the only ones who wrestle with the question of how do I find life and life to the full? What does life mean? We're the only ones who are caught up in this pursuit. And so as we look at this today, we're going to see what Jesus claims about finding life in him. And we're going to move through it in, in three pretty clear parts. And they'll look like this, just to give you a heads up on where we're going. That we find life by losing it. That following Jesus means uh, giving our life to him. And life means life forever. Those are our three steps. But the first thing we're going to look at is a passage that, that I gave read out before where Jesus is talking to a crowd. Look at what he says in Matthew 16, 24 to 28. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he'll reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So Jesus is saying this, if you are to follow him, and he had many kind of speeches like this, as crowds gathered to him, he, he explained to them up front what it would be like to follow him. And he starts by saying that it's going to involve some kind of self-denial. Now, if you are unfamiliar with Christianity, that may not come as a surprise. As you think about Christianity and what it would mean to be a follower of Jesus, 
the idea of self-denial, of, of missing out on things, may be almost the, seem like the central thing about Christianity. I think many people have a view of God that's kind of a capitalist in a way. That uh, the God really offers a deal, and it's kind of like this. It's, think about this. When I was, when I was in, uh, was it first year uni? I, um, I needed work quickly. I had to pay, this was back when student union fees were compulsory and whatever. And so I had to pay an upfront fee. So I needed a job straight away at the beginning of uni. So I just took whatever was at hand. And, uh, and the first thing that came through was a job at Red Rooster. Now, um, when, I was a, when I was a little kid, I knew that my cousins, like we'd often miss them on Christmas Day or whatever because they were working at McDonald's or things like that. And I thought that was an absolute dream job. Because as a kid, you love McDonald's, you think, wow, that would be like working in Wonka's factory. Like, it would be amazing. Um, But uh, lo and behold, all of that was blasted apart at my first job at a fast food place. It was just dirty work. Yeah, I had one set of shoes that were just for work because they'd get, they got covered in fats where they had a kind of glaze over them. I couldn't use them for any other purpose. It was just, it was smelly work. It was just everything there. You know, I'm sure they've changed now, but everything there was either deep fried or microwave. That was it. There was nothing in between. And the only reason I did that job, the only reason, and this is why many people have jobs, the only reason I did it was for the money. I didn't enjoy the work. I had no reason to be there other than at the end of it, I would get paid. That was the transaction. And the money was the thing I want. If there was another way I could have got it, which eventually there was, I'd leave the job. But the only reason I was there was to get something at the end. And I think most people have this impression of God. When Jesus says, whoever must follow me must deny himself and take up his cross, people are like, ah, I get it. It's kind of like a job. It's a really crappy job with a great retirement plan. If you miss out on stuff in this life now, then later on in the afterlife, you really get to cash out. And that's what Jesus is offering. That's what he means when he says, whoever wants to follow me must take up his cross. He must deny himself. That's what Jesus is talking about. This is the deal. You miss out on stuff now, and he'll give you an extra big bonus later. But is that what he's saying? I think if we pay attention to what Jesus actually says, it's clear that that's not what he means. Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So Jesus claims that the way that you find life is kind of by losing it. It's not a trade-off where he says, look, if you miss out on life now, you'll get it later. No, he actually says, if you lose your life for my sake, you will actually find it. And he makes no distinction between this life or the next. He's saying you will find life itself, what it was meant to be about. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake will find it. Now, what does this mean? This is a tricky kind of phrase, isn't it? To say to someone, if you lose your life, you will find it, is, is a difficult kind of conundrum to understand. How is it that when you lose your life, you would find it? They're, they're kind of opposites, really, aren't they? Well, there's one story in the Gospel of Mark, an account of Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, that I think explains what he's talking about here. In Mark 10... We read a story that picks up, uh, we pick it up in in sentence 17, where Jesus has an interaction with a rich young man, and it starts this way. In Mark 10, 17, it says, And as he was sitting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this is, just keep this in mind, this is the question that, that starts the whole conversation with Jesus. So this guy bolts up to Jesus. 
So he's familiar with Jesus' ministry. He believes he has some answers to things. And so he runs up to him. He kneels before him as a sign of deference. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is an interesting question to start with. Because I think even if you are a secular or religious person, everybody has some conception of the worst possible scenario you could end up in and the best possible. In short, everybody has a heaven and a hell. And everybody defines it differently, whether it's a formal religion like Buddhism where you must annihilate the self in order to make it to a higher state, whether it's careerism where career heaven is success and career hell is being sidelined, whether it's fitness and you must be disciplined in order to achieve a certain physique or certain outcomes or goals. Everybody has a heaven, a best possible scenario and a hell and there is something that you must do to go from one to the other. And this guy believes that there is a heaven and a hell. And he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I make sure that I end up in the good place? And Jesus replies to him like this. In sentence 18, Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So Jesus prods him a little here. The guy is saying, well, what's the good thing that I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? How do I get to the good place? What do I have to do? And Jesus says, why do you, why do you call me good? You know that only God is good, right? And for Hebrew people, they had a saying that they learned as kids growing up. And that they would say over and over again, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord is good. It was the equivalent for us would be Australians all let us rejoice for, and most people can sort of finish off the next line. I won't embarrass you by testing you on that. But, um, but they all knew that phrase. And so he's saying to this guy, look, you've, you've been saying this since you were a kid. You know that only God is good. Why are you calling me good? But he indulges his question a little, and he says, well, look, you, you know the Bible. What are the commandments? Don't murder, don't steal, all this sort of stuff. And you see how the guy responds. He says, Jesus, I've, I've done it all. I did all the things. I, I finished them all completely. I've done it. And it's at this point that you realize that this is, this is where he was hoping the conversation was going. He kind of knew that this was the answer. It was kind of like, you know, in, like, in, in class when a mature age student asks a question, it's not really a question, it's a statement to show that they've done all the pre-readings, like that sort of thing. Here he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But he knows the answer. He's waiting for this bit. So that in front of the whole crowd, he can say, oh, that's embarrassing. I guess I've done it all. Oh, you know, that sort of backfired. Gosh. And so we see here that Jesus is actually lining him up for something. This is where the rich young man is hoping the conversation is going to go. But then Jesus turns it around. Look what he says in Mark 10, 21 and 22. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. So has compassion on this guy. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So everything was going so well for this guy. It, was, it had mapped out in his head exactly how he thought it was going to go. In front of the whole crowd, he gets to say, I'm the guy who's kept all the commandments. And then Jesus says, hey, just one more thing. Why don't you sell all your stuff and then come and follow me? And he goes away sad. You notice when Jesus listed out the commandments, 
he missed the very first one. Now, Hebrew people would have been super familiar with the Ten Commandments. The first commandment says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. You shall have no other gods besides me. That's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods besides me. And when Jesus listed out the commandments, he left that one out because he knew that that was the very one that the guy could not obey. His God was his money. Where he believed he would find life and life to the full, the thing that he thought would bring him most joy, would bring him happiness and satisfaction and meaning in life, was money. And so when Jesus says, you want to follow me as God? Choose money or me. And the guy walks away sad because he cannot believe that following Jesus would be enough to build a significant, meaningful life on. Jesus exposed his real God. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but even if you're a secular person who believes there is no higher being, no transcendent realm, no being to worship called God, you cannot get around the fact that you have one thing that you shape your entire life around. Aristotle called it the summer bonum, the highest good. Everyone has one One thing that we believe is worth more than anything else. And whatever that thing is for us, it will function like a God. For the guy in this story, it was money. He believed that if he had money, he had life, and everything would be okay. And when Jesus said, choose that or me, he could not believe that Jesus would be God enough to fulfill his whole life. And so he walked away sad. Whatever you believe will bring you most joy in this life will function for you as a God. Whatever you believe will bring you most joy and meaning will be the thing that you absolutely love the most, that you desire the most. Because this is how love works, isn't it? We love things that bring us joy. And the thing that brings us most joy is the thing that we capital L love, and that will be our God. In 2008, when the global financial crisis hit, many, many, there was a spate of suicides amongst financial executives. And why? Because they had loved money, and once it was gone, they could not believe that there was anything left worth living for. See, the thing that you want most in life, the thing that you love most in life, will be the thing that acts as your God. It will have power over your joy, over your hope, over meaning in life. It will be the thing that if you lose it, you cannot believe that life is worth going on with. I don't know if you've thought about that. What is the thing that you absolutely could not do without? For these executives, they were like, if I lost my money, I'd be so humiliated that I, I just, life would not be worth living. My, not, have, not having money now would, be, would mean that life was completely meaningless, like all the goodness had been taken out of it. There's a guy called David Foster Wallace, not a Christian man, not a believer at all, but uh, in, a, in an address to, uh, to college graduates, as part of his speech, you might have seen a few years ago, someone did a, an animation of his speech called This is Water. If you haven't seen it yet, you can look it up. But this is from another section of the same speech where he says this. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. 
And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out. This was his take on life. That the only choice we get in life is not whether we worship, but what we worship. And will the thing that we worship bring us life and meaning, or will it bring us ruin? Jesus looks on this guy who loves money, who trusts in money, and it says he loved him enough to speak the truth to him. He said, look, choose either me or money, and the guy walks away sad. He could not believe that life with Jesus would be enough even without money. So he says to this man, look, if you leave it, you'll have treasure in heaven. You'll have a relationship with your God that will not wear out or fade. But he cannot believe that it's enough. And so then the conversation continues. And he turns to his disciples and look what he says. In Mark 10, 23 to 26, it says, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said to them, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. What we saw last week was that sin takes away our life. Sin is when we say to God, God, you're dead to me, and he gives us what we want, and our relationship with him is broken, and we are cut off from life itself. But he made the impossible possible by dying in our place so that we might be reconciled to God, that we might have treasure in heaven, a relationship that lasts forever, that brings life and meaning and purpose. This is what Jesus promises. But he goes on even. Look at what his, his disciples then say to him. One of his disciples says, look, we've, we've lost, left everything to follow you. And Jesus replies to him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus says to follow him means to lose something. It means we deny ourselves having complete authority over our lives. Where we say, I'm not going to choose what life is about for me, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I'll, I'll put nothing else in the place of God in my life. And Jesus says when you do that, you actually find life. And the disciples who followed him ask him, well, look, we've left everything to follow you. What about us? And he says to them, I tell you, no one who has left their house will ever think it unworth it. Whatever you have lost to follow me, he says, it will be absolutely worth it. He even promises them. He says, look, you will even find in this life a hundredfold uh, houses, mothers, brothers, sisters, children, lands, all that kind of stuff. Now, again, what is Jesus promising here? Is he saying, look, if you, if you miss out on something for my sake, say you follow me and your family kicks you out of your house. You're in a culture where it's absolutely anathema to follow a different religion or something like that. Let's say you lose that. Well, if you follow me, you will really cash in. I'll get you a mansion. I'll get you whatever you want. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Well, I don't think so. Partly because he he promises here, you will gain mothers and sisters and brothers. That's That's very difficult to take literally. I don't think there's a way to do that. But what he is saying, he's saying if you follow him, 
You'll be adopted into this new family. You'll gain new mothers and brothers. Even in the New Testament, the way the church worked was they loved one another and shared their things. He says you'll gain new houses in that way. You'll be welcomed into strangers' houses who you didn't know as though you were family. To follow him means you don't just follow him alone. You're welcomed into his family. I was talking to one kid at a youth conference I was at, and we were, um, the, the sermon was kind of on the, the teaching of adoption, how it is that God adopts us in as his kids. And uh, afterwards, he was saying, he said, yeah, so he's a, a, a 17-year-old guy who was following Jesus, and he said, the miracle for me is that I've been adopted twice. So he was adopted into his family, and he said, the miracle for me is that I was adopted twice. When I became a Christian, I mean, the first time I got this new family who loved me and treated me as, as their own, but the second time I got this whole church family to be a part of, and he was absolutely overwhelmed by it. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying when you follow him, it means to deny anything else as, being, as taking the place of God in your life. It is in a way that you deny yourself, but in another way you find life and are welcomed into this new family as well. And Jesus says to follow him is worth it even if you lose everything else. Polycarp, who was a church leader early on in the church, was given the choice to either die or follow Jesus, which was common for the first 300 years of Christianity in the Roman Empire. And he was given the option of either dying or uh, denying Jesus and living or continuing to profess to be a follower of Jesus and to die. And he said, 86 years I have served him and never has, me, has he done me any in injury. How then can I now blaspheme my King and Savior? And that was the testimony of the church again and again in the first century and even right up to now. People considered that to have Jesus was to have life to such an extent that even if you lost everything else, it would be worth it. I wonder for you if there is anything in your life that you would say is so good and so valuable that it would even last through death, that it would even be worth dying for. That's the claim of Christianity. That's the claim of Jesus that to know him is that good, that it's worth more even than our very lives. So as we return to what Jesus said, let's see if it, if it, if it makes more sense. Look at what he says, Matthew 16, 24 to 28. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus says, anyone who would follow me must deny himself, must say, I forfeit the right to choose my own gods, and I will follow you, Jesus, even if it means missing out on anything else because it is worth it. And he says, in a strange way, when you do that, as you lose your life, you'll find it. And even though that seems like a strange principle, it is a a principle that we're familiar with, isn't it? There are many things in life that if you want them, you kind of have to not want them. If If you're a high school kid navigating the social ladder, if you want to be cool, you have to not want to be too cool. That's a, it's a common thing, right? It's the same with, with art. If you want to be an original artist, you must set aside the, the, the concept, the idea of being original. The more you try to be original, the more commonplace you will become. It's the same with sleep. 
if you want to go to sleep, what is the last thing that you can think about? Sleep, right? The more you think about going to sleep, the more anxious and wound up you become. And Jesus is saying that finding life in him is the same thing. It feels counterintuitive, and yet it's the way to find life. To deny yourself, to say, you know what, I am not the highest authority in my life. I give it over to Jesus, is actually the way to find life. It runs against all our intuitions. We think the way that we would absolutely find life is to trust ourselves in it, and yet we'll find ourselves in ruin. Jesus says, if you deny yourself, you will find life in him. I'm going to finish by praying in a moment. And next week, we're going to look at the last thing in our Introducing Jesus series, which is looking at what it means or what it looks like to actually have put your faith in him. But I'm going to pray that we would understand Jesus' words as we respond to them in a moment. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you haven't left us alone in this world. That you've given us your word and your son, Jesus. That we know that in him is life and life to the full. That to follow him means to deny ourselves and to take up our cross. And when we lose our lives in the strangest way, we end up finding it. And so, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us to know this and live this. Even as it comes to the time in the year when we celebrate Jesus' coming. And Father, we pray all these things for the sake of your holy name. Amen. We're going to take a moment to reflect and then Gab's going to let us know what's happening next.